Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This series contains adult language and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. In February of 1981, in the sleepy town of Brookfield, Connecticut, 19-year-old Arnie Johnson decided to call in sick to work. His fiance, Debbie Glatzel, was employed as a dog groomer in the small but busy town center. Arnie, along with his sister Wanda and his fiance's nine-year-old niece Mary, enjoyed being around the dogs. And Arnie always wanted to find ways to spend more time with his future wife. So a family outing of sorts was planned. Further, Arnie and Debbie had recently rented an apartment from Debbie's boss, Alan Bono. Along with the dog grooming shop, Mr. Bono owned some rental properties in Brookfield. When Mr. Bono stopped by his small business, he was delighted to see Debbie's extended family enjoying themselves with the dogs and offered to take everyone to a local pizzeria for lunch. It was during lunch that Mr. Bono began drinking heavily. After lunch, the group returned to Arnie and Debbie's apartment, where Mr. Bono, now completely intoxicated, became agitated and started acting in an erratic fashion. Debbie, in an effort to avoid serious trouble, told everyone to leave the room. But Mr. Bono grabbed on to nine-year-old Mary and refused to release her. Arnie Johnson immediately intervened and demanded that Bono let the girl go, Things escalated quickly. Johnson, suddenly growling like a caged beast, snapped and grabbed Bono as Wanda attempted to restrain him, but it was no use. Arnie Johnson pulled a five-inch pocket knife and stabbed Mr. Bono five times in the chest, then ran out of the apartment and disappeared. Mr. Bono would die a few hours later from severe chest wounds and loss of blood. Local police found Mr. Johnson two miles from the scene of the attack, disoriented and covered in blood. As he was being placed under arrest, he claimed that he would never hurt anyone, and if he did, he was unable to remember anything from earlier in the day. Arnie would plead not guilty. However, the plea was the first of its kind to go before a judge in the history of modern U.S. criminal justice. Not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Welcome back to The Devil Within. I'm your host, Brandon Morgan. You're listening to The Devil Made Me Do It. Now, to be honest, I have an affinity for this case and the movie that it would spawn, although I'd never seen the movie. When the first season of The Devil Within came out in 2021, the story about Tommy Sullivan and the murder of his mother and then eventual suicide, we were able to piggyback on a lot of the marketing of the movie The Devil Made Me Do It. And that's one of the main reasons 
that the podcast was able to find such a broad audience and become as successful as it did. My so love affair been a lot of Hello Fresh of story continues. over the years, but look, here's my they're America's now. number one meal kit for. We'll a come reason. back to the trial, and farm its fresh ingredients, outcome a little pre-portioned. Later. First, we right to your doorstep. How we got there? No more and worrying that, about what's for dinner or last-minute runs to the, the market. You'll save time, Debbie. Glass of money, and you'll have less. Debbie was 19, and she lived with her mother Judy for me. Her little brother. The time spent with my family. David was 11 years old. Last weekend, my 11-year-old rented a house, prepared the Hello Fresh. Monterey Debbie Jack asked her boyfriend chicken and soon to be First fiance Arnie Johnson to help her with the moves and he was happy here's the to best part my nephew but it was on the Glatzel family's first night very seriously that she followed the enclosed directions very carefully and in a very strange in the oven, very nice green beans crushing the breadcrumbs so let's just get this out over too soon Uncle B he said that's it? They were massively popular. Man, that was in the too easy. My parents I told them had not one. to worry. My best friend in middle tomorrow. school had one. Yeah. Go to hellofresh.com slash devil with a freaking waterbed and use code devil with And if you don't know what a waterbed is, for free breakfast, imagine for one of life. Those air mattresses that you one breakfast item per box pump while subscription is active. Water. That's free breakfast in for life at hellofresh.com slash devil with Invented in San Francisco in 1968 and touted as a panacea for back problems and insomnia. Plus, you could heat the water and be super warm during cold winter nights. But evidence for all those benefits that a waterbed supposedly afforded was in incredibly short supply, meaning there wasn't any. And the maintenance, danger of leaks and property damage, extreme weight and inconvenience when it came to moving a waterbed to a new home you had to drain it, disassemble the heavy frame, make sure there wasn't any bacteria growing in the standing water that you were sleeping on, etc. Waterbeds fell out of favor by the 1990s. But at their peak in the mid-80s, fully 20% of Americans were sleeping on a waterbed, including my friend Don. Wait, why are we talking about waterbeds? Okay, well, they're super weird and tons of people who bought one came to regret the purchase rather quickly, which leads us to the Glatzels' first night in their new home. See, for reasons explained just a second ago, the previous occupant of the house, now rented by Judy Glatzel and her kids, left behind his kick-ass, king-sized freaking waterbed, filled up and ready to go. He was just like, listen, I don't care how much I paid for it, I'm not going through the hassle of moving it to my new house, where it probably doesn't fit, and a lot of apartment buildings back then had restrictions against owning a waterbed. Well, when 11-year-old David Glatzel saw that sucker, he was sold. I mean, what kid wouldn't freak out over a waterbed in their new house? Especially if you weren't even aware that such a magical thing existed. So there's this little kid chilling on a waterbed all by himself when he decides he wants to get up and get something to eat. He sits up in this bed, the water kind of sloshes around, and he sees an old man standing in the room watching him. David's never seen this guy before. And he rightfully gets creeped out. And David was very specific in his remembrance of this old guy. And also very specific that it wasn't actually a man that he saw. It was the ghost of a man. He was wearing a plaid shirt. He had blonde hair. He looked kind of mean. And what's more, they actually spoke to each other. The old man ghost looked at David and said, Waterbed, pretty cool, right? No, I'm obviously kidding about that. 
I'm probably just venting some leftover shame over my parents' ownership of one of those things. I can still hear the sound it made when he climbed into it, or sat on it, or, God forbid, thought about rolling over in it. Sounds of water sloshing around inside the thick vinyl container, combined with the oddly uncomfortable, I mean really more uncomfortable than you're probably thinking. It wasn't anything even approaching soft, it was just, okay, okay, no more about waterbeds. What the old man ghost said to David Glatzel was this. Get out of this house or bad things will happen to you. Okay, now David was a good kid. And when a creepy old ghost warns you about the great new house you just rented, a good kid will tell his parents. And that's just what David did. He went to his mom. And she promptly blew him off. Too bad, kid. A single mom like Judy Glatzel didn't have room in her life to deal with that kind of situation. Her new house is haunted? I mean, come on. That's not really a possibility, is it? She hoped not. She had secured a great deal on the place, good schools in the area, even some job opportunities. She couldn't afford to mess up a good thing. She felt a little bit of optimism about her future for the first time in a while. This ghost business would have to wait. Judy Glatzel told her son to stop making up stories. This was their home, and he needed to be a team player. Okay. A couple days later, as kids often do, David got sick. Probably just a bug going around the school, Judy hoped. That would make sense. Kids get sick all the time. Judy thought nothing of it. Even if it was lasting a little too long, eh, she brushed it off. But Judy's hopes of a run-of-the-mill sickness causing her son's increasing strange behavior were soon dashed. Unless, that is... There's some infection out there that causes an 11-year-old boy to suddenly start speaking Latin and reciting John Milton's epic poem, Paradise Lost. That happened, word for word. Farewell, happy fields, where joy forever dwells. Hail horrors, hail infernal world, and thou profoundest hell, receive thy new possessor. One who brings a mind not to be changed by peace or time. The mind is its own place. Young David also began having long conversations with his bedroom wall, but he claimed he was speaking to the ghost of the old man. Then David's preferred means of communication shifted completely away from spoken language and degenerated into grunts, hisses, and deep, sinister growls. But just before he stopped using language, he was able to give a more accurate description of the ghost he had been speaking to. The ghost was now burned across his face and entire body, and he didn't have normal feet. He had, to quote David, feet like a deer. Yep, cloven hooves on the old man ghost. That was finally enough for Judy to look for some outside help. And since her son was basically describing what Christianity tells us the devil looks like, she felt like the local Catholic church would be her best bet to get her son feeling better. She was shocked when three of the local churches turned her away. I mean, really? This was the 80s, in New England, and no Catholic priests wanted to help out a troubled young boy? Crazy. Their reason, though, was pretty simple. Exorcisms weren't really a thing anymore. 
And that's what Judy Glatzel was looking for, even if she didn't actually say that she thought her son was possessed by a demon. The church saw the writing on the wall and didn't want to touch it. Yes, there was a spike in interest after the late William Friedkin's masterpiece, The Exorcist, hit theaters almost a decade earlier. But that sudden interest did way more harm than good. The so-called exorcist effect ultimately did lead to a net gain, though, for society, as it highlighted the need for religious organizations to thoroughly explore all possible mental health issues before moving on to a paranormal diagnosis. A case in point was the highly publicized Michael Taylor fiasco in the UK in the mid-70s. We covered that case in season two of The Devil Within, The Demons of Yorkshire. Mr. Taylor was a troubled family man who fell in love with a beautiful young preacher. When his advances were rebuffed, he snapped and began acting like a lunatic. The church claimed he was possessed, and a brutal exorcism was performed. But Michael went home and murdered his wife anyway. If you're interested in a deep dive into the case, I suggest you binge season two. It's pretty crazy what they did to that guy. But all of that is to say that Judy was again on her own with a son who was clearly going through some traumatic event and she didn't know where to turn now. She did, however, get a phone number from a concerned member of the local clergy. There was a team of paranormal experts from Connecticut, actually, a married couple named Ed and Lorraine Warren founders of the New England Society for Psychic Research. The Warrens skyrocketed to fame following their involvement in investigating the Amityville haunting out on Long Island in 1975. The blockbuster film The Amityville Horror came out in 1979, and the Warrens were still riding that wave of pop culture curiosity. What finally convinced Judy Glatzel to allow the Warrens to assist her son was the Warrens' involvement in the Enfield Poltergeist case in London in 1977. That case involved suburban children that were allegedly possessed by demons, and the Warrens supposedly showed up and assisted with the exorcism. The Warrens enthusiastically agreed to help Judy. I mean, the case was basically in their own backyard, and immediately upon their examination of David, they determined that not only was poor David under the power of what they termed, quote, diabolical possession, there was a veritable demonic rave taking place within him. At least 40 demons were fighting for the boy's soul. Now these circumstances, right down to the number of demons at play, are all strikingly similar to the Michael Taylor case from 1974. And not for nothing, remember that the Warrens were in the UK for the Enfield case just a few years later. Now, I'm not saying they heard about the Taylor case and thought it sounded cool and decided to take it for a spin back home in the States. All I'm saying is that it's a strange, really accurate coincidence. So the star power of the Warrens was able to convince one of the local Catholic churches to agree to participate in the exorcism of David Glatzel. The Warrens would be in charge. The priest was more for show to add an air of legitimacy to the proceedings. But still, they failed. Three times they tried to expel the demons that were waging war within young David, and three times they were turned away by the superior forces of the Angel of Darkness. My love affair with HelloFresh continues. Look, they're America's number one meal kit for a reason. Farm fresh ingredients, pre-portioned, delivered right to your doorstep. 
No more worrying about what's for dinner or last-minute runs to the market. You'll save time, you'll save money, and you'll have less wasted food. And the biggest plus for me is the time spent with my family in the kitchen. Last weekend, my 11-year-old nephew and I prepared the HelloFresh Monterey Jack unfried chicken. First of all, forget about it. Absolutely delicious. But here's the best part. My nephew is an aspiring chef, takes it very seriously. He followed the enclosed directions very carefully, preheating the oven, trimming the green beans, crushing the breadcrumbs. But it was over too soon. Uncle B, he said, that's it? Man, that was too easy. I told him not to worry. We could do it again tomorrow night. Go to HelloFresh.com slash DevilWithinFree and use code DevilWithinFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash DevilWithinFree with code DevilWithinFree. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So now we need to pull back a bit and focus on how these events were affecting members of David's family, his sister Debbie in particular. She was devastated at what her poor little brother was going through and would do anything to help. But how? There was nothing she could do. She would go to work and lose herself in the innocent joy of the dog she worked on and at night would pour her heart out to her fiancé, Arnie Johnson. By this time, they had taken that small apartment near the grooming shop in the building owned by Debbie's boss, who also owned the grooming salon, Alan Bono. So night after night, Arnie would listen to the woman he loved, suffering inconsolable distress due to her brother's fate, and in an act of compassion reserved for the wild hearts of the young, Arnie said he would throw himself into the middle of the next exorcism and do whatever it took to save young David. Not even the power of Satan could deter teenage love. So the main players gathered for what would prove to be the fourth and final exorcism of David Glatzel. And what a mess this one turned out to be. Imagine Ed and Lorraine Warren, along with a local priest and supposedly additional priests who were Vatican trained in the rites of exorcisms, failing miserably and leading to immense suffering of their charge, David. At a certain point, Arnie Johnson, the star-crossed lover of David's sister Debbie, decided enough was enough and jumped into action. Accounts differ as to what was actually said, but it was along the lines of, 
Leave the boy alone. If you want to possess someone, possess me. I dare you. I dare you to even try. I bet you couldn't possess a tough guy like me. That's why you have to pick on a little kid. Yes, I'm taking some poetic license. But I knew some kids from Connecticut growing up, and they were a pretty fearless, taunting lot. So I bet I'm not too far off. Now, when Arnie showed this remarkable act of courage, a gasp was heard from the lips of the gathered clergy. This kid didn't understand the tremendous risk he was taking because the one thing they learned in the Vatican exorcism classes was that demons have the temperament of spoiled children and will respond to any challenge to their prerogatives. Oh, really? You think I can't possess you because you think you're so tough? Watch this. Although no one in the room was exactly sure what went down, they could see right away that David was improving. Further, Arnie seemed no worse for the wear. Successful exorcism, I guess. They all congratulated each other. Maybe they went to dinner. But did anyone ask where those 40 demons went? Did they just get absorbed into the ether? Eh, who cares? The boy's all better. The mom's relieved. The power of Christ is confirmed once again. But wouldn't you know it, Within a few days, Arnie Johnson began to growl and hiss and have phantom conversations with inanimate objects, exactly the same symptoms that David experienced and would later be diagnosed as diabolical possession, with one additional layer of creepiness. There was an old well dug in the backyard of the Glatzel home where, in the days following the exorcism, Arnie would be found staring menacingly into the depths. It was there, he would later claim, that he found the demon, or demons, and fell under their control. It would seem that was where they escaped to, after being expelled from David. Now firmly established in Arnie, what would come next? Well, an innocent family outing to Debbie's work would prove fatal. As described at the top of the episode, Arnie, along with his sister and niece, joined Debbie at the dog grooming shop and were invited to lunch by the owner, Alan Bono. And later, back at the apartment, a day-drunk Alan Bono grabbed the nine-year-old niece for unknown reasons and Arnie stabbed him to death. Fast forward to the trial of Arnie Johnson. At the pleading of the Warrens, who arrived just in time for the news cameras to focus on them, Arnie's attorney prepared a defense of not guilty by reason of demonic possession. Yeah, that was actually brought before a judge. And in a welcome nod to the enduring sanity of our legal system, that particular defense strategy was soundly rejected. Arnie Johnson's attorney was strictly forbidden from making any mention of supernatural influence in front of the jury. And predictably, Ed Warren couldn't believe it. And there were seven Roman Catholic priests involved in that case. Please. Three of them schooled and trained in Rome itself at the Vatican. We had psychiatrists, medical doctors. We had Catholic priests. We had psychic researchers staying there day and night. We had relatives. We had the family. We had photographs. We had recordings. We had police officers in there. We had all the evidence to prove in any court of law 
that this young boy was diabolically possessed, and the young man who helped him later, Arnie Johnson, who was 18 years old and lived in the house, came under demonic possession. Any evidence that you could prove a case with in any court of law in the United States, we had, and the judge would not allow us to bring it in. If he did, Arnie Johnson would not have spent two or three years in prison. Of course, the press picked it up anyway and dubbed the proceedings the Demon Murder Trial. As opening statements drew near, the Johnson defense pivoted away from demonic possession and landed on self-defense. It was the only move that made sense. Bono was clearly intoxicated and acting erratically. The nine-year-old niece was in trouble. Maybe Arnie was next. He had no choice. Blah, blah, blah. And it worked. The jury found Arnie Johnson not guilty of second-degree murder, but guilty of first-degree manslaughter. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. Now, old Arnie made the most of his time on the inside, studying, exercising, and even marrying Debbie Glatzel in a jailhouse ceremony. His exemplary behavior led to his release after just five years. Ed and Lorraine Warren would publish a book entitled The Devil in Connecticut in 1983. In 2007, David Glatzel, then in his mid-40s, sued the Warrens for unfairly profiting off his family, claiming they never seriously considered the possibility of demonic possession, that it was all made up in the pursuit of fame and fortune. And further, they knew full well that David was suffering from a mental illness, but kept that under wraps in order to enrich themselves. To be fair, Arnie and his wife Debbie are firmly on the side of the Warrens and stand by their claims that David Glatzel and subsequently Arnie Johnson were victims of demonic possession in 1981 and that it's the Glatzel family who are trying to discredit the Warrens. Ed Warren died in August of 2006. He was 79 years old. Lorraine followed him in death 13 years later in April of 2019 at the age of 92. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you're following The Devil Within wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you'd like to follow us on your socials, go to The Devil Within Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next time, stay safe out there. The Devil Within is a Cloud 10 Media production, recorded live at Bel Air Studios in Los Angeles, California. Written and produced by Brandon Morgan. Executive produced by Sim Sarna. Our post-production supervisor is Bruce Whitkin, who also provided original music for this episode. For The Devil Within, I'm your host, Brandon Morgan. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.